morning, everyone. I have a double duty this morning of leading worship and, and preaching. And uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Paul Buckley, one of the pastors here. And uh, I am excited about bringing you the, actually the last message in our series on the Old Testament. We've been going through the Old Testament, uh, a series entitled Long Story Short, and uh, learning about what uh, it means to be God's people, learning about who God is. Really, the Old Testament is an important part of the Bible. It's actually the largest part of the Bible. It's a very important part of the Bible uh, for really understanding God and understanding what, what it means to be His people now and in this time. Though we were no longer under the Old Covenant, we're under the New Covenant in Christ. Uh, the Old Testament has a lot of relevance for us. So I trust that you've been encouraged as we've gone through this, uh, this series and just looking at the major themes and people of the Old Testament. And this will be the last in the whole series. Uh, just so you know, after Easter, we're starting a new series and we're on the other end of the Bible. We're going to start a series in Revelation uh, and take about almost a year actually to go through that. We'll have some breaks in there, but um, we'll, we'll be going through Revelation and learning from God's Word. Uh, as you, you can pray for me uh, uh, as well as the guys. I, I, I have the bulk of the teaching responsibility for that. Uh, and, uh, and perhaps we're either very bold or very stupid because uh, John Calvin never preached through Revelation because he said he, he couldn't figure it out. So uh, we're trusting though that, that God will give us wisdom. Really our heart is to honor the, the prominence this book has in Scripture. It's an important part. It's the final book. Uh, and knowing about uh, what it is to live in the end times is so important. So we want to kind of recapture uh, the truths of Revelation. Often there are things that distract us from the core of it, so our commitment is to go after the heart of truth and Revelation. So we'll be starting that after Easter, but this is the last message in the series. It's entitled, At Last, and we'll be looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 35. Before we go there, uh, how many people in this room are Red Sox fans? Okay, a good. I'm surprised there aren't more hands, but I won't say anything. Um, and if, uh, if you're a Red Sox fan, you know what the year 2004 means. Uh, it was when they won the World Series once again after, after a long time, after a, a, long, a long drought, and as it's called, the curse. Um, it was an amazing season, amazing end of the season. That it was the, the comeback against the... Yankees in the American League series uh, was a once-in-a-lifetime experience, really. Came back from three games, uh, lo losing three games to win that. And then they went on to sweep uh, the Cardinals in the World Series. It was an amazing time to be a Red Sox fan. I, and I don't know if you guys remember where you were and you know, where you were during that. I, I can remember actually watching those games with the Yankees. But there was one person that was particularly happy, uh, and her name uh, is Catherine Gemme. She was a lifelong Red Sox fan. Um, she was particularly happy because she had been following them for a long time. She actually would follow them on the radio back in the days before television and so forth. And she would take notes. She had a, a yellow pad. She would take notes on all the at-bats and what had gone on and, and basically keep score. And then when her husband came home from work, they would go over it and talk about the game together. Can you imagine? And did that game after game, year after year. So she was with the Red Sox through all those years. She was with them and certainly in 86 when they blew the World Series. Sorry to mention that. She was there in 75 um, as well when they didn't win, when they should have. 
Um, she was there through the Ted Williams years, and, um, and she actually remembers the last time they won a World Series. In what year? Before 1918. She was actually 24 years old at the time. And, uh, and when they finally won, she was 109. On her 111th birthday, uh, they had a great surprise for her. They actually came with the, the World Championship trophy to her house and celebrated with her on the 111th. Yeah, that's the picture there. That's Catherine. Yeah. Um, now, she died uh, the next year, actually, before they won the series again in 2007, so she didn't get to see that. But I think she died plenty happy as a Red Sox fan. In today's passage, I want to look at um, a similar figure. We're going to look at one of the, uh, two of the Old Testament saints who, like Catherine, were lifelong fans waiting for their team to win uh, in an even more dramatic way. Uh, we're going to look at their lives, and we're, we're going to do this because um, it's a great way to finish the series on the Old Testament because these two characters, Simeon and Anna, were really Old Testament saints. They lived as Old Testament saints. They lived under the Old Covenant. And they were looking forward to all that the Lord would do. They were like Catherine in the story, eagerly awaiting the fulfillment of all these promises. We've been going through the Old Testament and we've seen all these promises, all these themes, all these amazing stories. And, and again and again, every message you've been hearing that ultimately these are pointing forward to something. And so, Simeon and Anna are a great focal point because they are living at that point with the whole Old Testament behind them, eagerly awaiting God to do something. And that's the beginning of the story of the New Testament. So let's read. Let's pray first and then we'll read in Luke chapter 2. Lord, we thank You, Lord, for this section of Scripture, for the stories of Simeon and Anna and Your intention in this story in Scripture for us, for Your people throughout time, but for us today. And I pray, Lord, You would help me to explain and to proclaim the truth here. And I pray as a result of encountering Simeon and Anna and the truth here, we would be changed. We would understand how to live in You. How to live in light of the Old Testament. How to live in light of all Your, your truth. Come Holy Spirit, dwell with us. And speak to us, we pray. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I'm using contacts today, so I need my reading glasses. Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to 35. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, so this is after Christ has been born, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled 
of what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce to your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. God's Word from Luke chapter 2. These saints, Simeon and Anna, are exemplary saints. They are Old Testament saints featured in the New Testament. The New Testament being the, the new covenant, the new agreement between God and man in Christ Jesus. That new covenant actually was not inaugurated until Christ died. So the saints that lived in the New Testament and the Gospels are actually Old Testament saints. Old Testament believers. When I say saints, I mean believers in God. And this story brings a key lesson for us as we think about the Old Testament, as we think about how to live as God's people. It's centrally this, that God fulfills all His promises. God fulfills all His promises in Jesus Christ. And so we are to be like Simeon and Anna to wait patiently for Him and live our lives banking on the fact that He will fulfill all His promises. That's what their lives demonstrate. We could put it another way. Simply this. I think it's in your notes stated this way. Give your all for the kingdom. Give your all for the kingdom as you wait patiently for God to fulfill all His promises in Jesus. Give your all for the kingdom as you wait patiently for God to fulfill all His promises in Jesus. So first, let's talk about Simeon and Anna, how they were waiting for the promises. What's going on in this scene is is Joseph and Mary are consecrating themselves and they're firstborn to the Lord on the temple grounds. They were called to do that in the Scriptures. So they're coming as faith-filled, obedient believers to dedicate Jesus and to dedicate themselves after His birth as well. And if you read in the story, you read in the New Testament, you'll see that they had also already had a number of encounters where God had revealed things to them. And this one, in our story, is no exception. They come into the temple, the temple grounds. So the temple grounds uh, surrounded by uh, a colonnade and, and open in the middle. And then the, there were courtyards and then the temple building in, uh, in that area itself. So it's a whole complex. So they're coming onto the grounds itself. And this man approaches them, probably an old man. Simeon was probably an old man, given what he says. And probably explains what's going on, I hope, before he takes the child in his arms. <laughs> doesn't just grab, them, grab him out of their arms, but he explains there's some sort of conversation, then he takes the child in his arms. And it's a dramatic scene. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He, he knows that Christ is, is the focal point, the, the focal point, the, the fullness of God fulfilling all His promises. So let's look a little bit at this this interaction and who Simeon was. Uh, it says that he lived in Jerusalem. That may seem obvious, but, but there's a key there. He lived in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital, we've learned, going through the Old Testament, the capital of God's Old Testament people. There was really no better city 
to live in if you were an Old Testament saint than Jerusalem. It was the center of their life. The center of, of their life in the Lord. And God had made promises to them as a people and had made promises actually about Jerusalem. So it's, it's no mere just throwaway fact that Simeon is in Jerusalem. He lives in Jerusalem. He's there as a man who's devout, um, as a prophetic man, waiting for the promises made to Jerusalem. Now, you can look in your Old Testament and find lots of promises made to Jerusalem. Lots of promises made to God's people about Jerusalem. Just, just a few real quickly. Micah 4.1. We, we can project these, I believe. Micah 4.1. It says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come! Let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways, that we may walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. A promise made of God's redemption of Jerusalem. Isaiah 62, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Speaking of Jerusalem. Jeremiah 3, At that time Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord and all nations shall gather to it to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they, they, they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil hearts. Fantastic promises. And so Simeon is living here at this capital as a man looking forward to God fulfilling these things. It's the best place to be. Really, you wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Maybe Simeon had an opportunity to go live with relatives and he said, no! I want to stay in Jerusalem because I'm looking forward to what God is going to do. And I'm seeking it. And I'm waiting patiently for it. It says that he was righteous and devout. In Scripture, when it says that someone's righteous, it doesn't mean they're perfect. So Simeon was not faultless. He, he was a man who sinned. But when it says that someone is righteous and devout, it's speaking of the inclination of their heart. Their heart is for the Lord. They're looking to the Lord. They're believing the Lord. They're depending on the Lord. And they're seeking to walk with Him and walk with His people. They fall short. And so an Old Testament saint would have looked to the sacrificial system as a, as a way that God spoke of covering their sin, of caring for them, and they're putting away their sin. They would have looked to the Lord. And, and they would have sought to avoid high-handed sins. Strong, intentional, destructive sins. They, they would have sought to avoid those as, as righteous believers. But... If you read the story, right, we know Old Testament saints did some high-handed sins. David being one of them, right? Murder and adultery. But the difference in David's life in his sin was that he ran to the Lord for mercy and grace. His heart was broken. He realized that this is wrong and I've sinned against you alone, O oh God. Most of all, far above anything else, I've sinned against you. And so he came to the Lord. So he ran to the Lord. That's what a righteous person looks like in the Old Testament. They would have been dedicated. They would have been glad to follow the law. The law was not a burden for a believer. It's still not to be a burden for a believer. Because they understood God's graciousness. They understood God's provision through the sacrificial system. They looked forward to redemption. 
And that because God had loved them, they were glad to love Him back through the law. That's what it means when it says He's righteous and devout. And by the way, those things haven't changed. We know more than what Simeon knew. We know that the sacrificial system looked forward to the ultimate sacrifice. Christ Himself shedding His blood on the cross to pay full and final atonement for all sins. Be they, be they unconscious or high-handed or anything in between. And to be a righteous person now doesn't mean you're perfect. It means that you run to Jesus. You ask Him for forgiveness. You seek for strength. And you say, Lord, save me from myself and my sin. I want to love You and I want to love others in Your name. Help me. That's what a righteous person looks like. That's what Simeon and Anna look like as well. Simeon had a close walk with God in an unusual way. He heard the Holy Spirit. God would speak to him. Now, New Testament believers, God speaks to all of us, by the way. But Simeon's gift was a pronounced gift. And God had told him that he would, he would not die before he would see the Lord's Christ. God had spoken to him already and told him, all these things you're looking forward to, you're going to get to see. And actually, when the parents came in, the Spirit of God was on Simeon and communicated to Simeon, this is the one. Can you imagine? Imagine that moment for Simeon. What that must have been like. An old man waiting. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's seeking it. He knows all these stories. All this stuff we've been going over the past six months or more in the Old Testament. All that has filled his mind and his life. And, and he's an old man. And all the things he thinks about. All his hopes. All his dreams. What he wants in the Lord. is to see these promises come to pass. He's eager for them. And, and God in His amazing kindness to Simeon says, Simeon, you're going to get to see it. And then that day, this, this is the one. That's the child. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Consolation of Israel. What, what does consolation mean? What is, what is it? When we need consolation, we need, to, we need to be consoled, right? There's something wrong. Something's difficult. Comfort, consolation, right? We, that's what consolation is. And, and so for Simeon, what, what was that consolation? Well, he knew all these promises, didn't he? He read those promises that we just saw from Micah and Isaiah and Jeremiah. He, he saw all the other things. He, we, you know, he probably saw all the different hints that God had given of something greater. Probably studied revival under Josiah like we did. And all these things, saw all this, all this wonderful promise and then looked at his own life and looked at the life of Israel at the time and thought, something's missing. We know from history that at the time, uh, the nation of Israel was not under the chosen king. It was under Roman rule. It was under a brutal, distant rule, ruler that didn't really care for the ways of God. was not interested in the worship of God. Really just interested in steady taxes and keeping things quiet there. And so they were living under this oppressive rule. It didn't look at all like what the promises said. And then to look around the people of Israel as well at the time, there wasn't the, the sort of integrity and fervor and joy and fruitfulness and faithfulness that he read about in times of revival, but even in the promises. Because the promises, this is what Jerusalem's going to look like. It's going to be full of righteous people, full of the glory of the Lord. And I'm sure as he looked around Jerusalem, he thought, it's just. Ain't that right now. And so, what does that do? When you have promises and when you know it can be better and you look around and it isn't, you need to be consoled, don't you? You're looking for consolation. So, 
Simeon is looking. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's looking for God to change the way things are and to bring about His promises. That's his orientation. That's what he's waiting for. Interesting, Jesus says it this way, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Simeon was one who mourned. Because he knew there was something better. He knew things were wrong in, in his people and in, perhaps in his own life as well. And he was looking for the comfort that God would bring. Interesting Jesus says that because that means it applies to us as well. He's eager for this consolation. He's eager for God to bring about His promises. And then we meet Anna in the story as well. She's like Simeon. She's a prophetess. So she's a woman who prophesied, who spoke for God to the people. And there are other female prophets, prophetesses in Scripture. She was very old. She was either 84 or in her over 100 or even like 120 years old, depending on the meaning of the, It says she was 84 years a widow. So we don't know whether she was a widow who was 84 years old or she had been 84 years a widow. And it says that she only was married for seven years when her husband died. Commonly they were married at, at 16. So that's. So that's 23 plus 84, 107, right? So either 84 or 107. So she's an older woman, either way. And she spends her life, 84 years as a widow or so, fasting and praying and seeking God. She's spending her time in the temple day and night. And what do you think she's fasting and praying and seeking God about? The redemption of Israel. That's right. So when Jesus comes, the Spirit of God tells her as well, this is the one. Can you imagine? For her. 84 years waiting. 84 years seeking. Day and night fasting and praying in the temple all the time. That means on the temple grounds. Now, she probably slept and ate here and there, of course. But that's what she gave her life to. In light of these promises, she sought the Lord. She waited. She prayed. She prophesied, obviously, right? She was prophesying to the people and encouraging God's people in light of these promises, perhaps. And then when she saw, it says that she spoke to everyone around her about re- of the redemption that was there. They got to see Jesus. And, and they had sought Jesus. She had been seeking Jesus and seeking the fulfillment of the promises for years. By the way, it's interesting. I've mentioned this previously in the study of revival. It seems that there's always Annas and Simeons that God raises up before revival. People that are committed and actually are so committed to God showing up that they'll pursue the Lord through fasting and prayer and other things that sometimes will make people think, we're not too sure how well they're doing. They seem a little bit off, a little bit odd. I talk about Frank Bartleman and his family and friends thought, you know, he's going to starve to death. He's hardly not. Eating, he's hardly eating at all. He's hardly sleeping. Godly people around Frank's life thought were concerned. Evan Roberts in the Welsh Revival, similarly, he gave up his, his college career, basically. He left college. And, and I'm not saying if you're in college, you should leave college. So don't hear that. Um, but he gave up his college career to come back and lead the revival. And his mother, who's a godly woman, said, don't you think you ought to go back? And it wasn't what God had. And so there are Simeons and Annas that, that God raises up that are desperate for God. And, and, and really... May we all be like Simeon and Anna. Eager to see the Kingdom of God. Eager to see the promises of God realized. That that God would give us churches full of Simeons and Annas who are seeking the Kingdom. 
seeking the kingdom of God. And Anna and Simeon are rewarded for all their prayers, all their hopes, all their desires. They get to see Jesus. Jesus is that focal point. Jesus is the focal point of fulfillment. He's the focal point of God's consolation of His people, of redemption. Jesus is the One. All the promises, all the situations, all the people, all the principles, all the covenants, all the history, all the failures and successes, all these amazing stories that we've been digging into over the past months ultimately point and are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. He's the focal point in fulfillment. That's important to get. And there's a couple applications, there's many applications of course from that. But if you really want to know who Jesus is, get to know your Old Testament. If you really want to get to know your Old Testament, get to know who Jesus is. They go together. Because all that story that we've been reading, all those truths, ultimately have their focal point, their fulfillment in Christ, in that baby that Simeon held in his hands. That's why he says, my eyes have seen your salvation for all people. Revelation to the Gentiles. Glory for your people Israel. Jesus is that. So to know the Old Testament requires you to know Jesus. To know Jesus, it's very important for you to know the Old Testament. Is your Jesus the Jesus of the Old Testament? Because the real one is. So Dig into your Old Testament. Get to know these stories and you'll get to know who Jesus is better. I've been saying in this series that the Old Testament is about getting to know who God is and what it is to be His people, right? That's, you've heard that probably each time. That's what it's about. Well, ultimately, knowing who God is and knowing what it is to be His people is realized in Jesus. He's the one who defines who God is and what it looks like to be His people. He's the ultimate person of God and we are in Christ, in Him. And so, Jesus as a focal point ties it all together. We ultimately know and experience what it is to know God and to be His people in the God-man, Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's the second Adam. He's the seed of the woman, Eve. He's the true ark of salvation, Noah's ark. He's the seed of Abraham, the descendant of Abraham. He's the greater Moses. He's the ultimate prophet. He's the righteous judge. He's the true king. He's the son of David. He's the greater Solomon. He's the redemption of Israel. He's the judge of all nations. He's the giver of the Spirit, the fount of living waters, the reviver of God's people. He's the true Israel. He's the light to the Gentiles. He's the king of kings over God's everlasting kingdom. It's all ultimately about Jesus. And that's what Simeon and Anna knew. And that's why they're so stoked in the story. They get to behold all this waiting is realized in Jesus. I opened up with the story about Catherine Gemme and the 120-year-old, 112-year-old, literally diehard Red Sox fan. Um, and, it, and it's inspiring just to think about her. But how much more Simeon and Anna? Because, I mean, I love baseball and I love that they won. Um, I actually probably like a lot of us. I, I grew up a Red Sox fan. My parents, my grandfather, my grandparents were Red Sox fans. Never got to see the championship. So nothing against that, but it's just a game. But here's the real hero here. 
Here's the ultimate fan, the ultimate ones, Simeon and Anna, looking forward to the kingdom. Waiting and seeking the kingdom. Zealously pursuing that. Praying, believing, obeying, worshiping, serving, waiting. They were, they were looking forward to that and living for that. And their lives are to be an example for us. So important to look at the life of Simeon and look at the life of Anna and, and learn from them. To follow their example. To give our all in seeking and serving and waiting for the kingdom. To eagerly anticipate the fulfillment of the promises. Now we, we know much, many of the aspects of the fulfillment of the promises, don't we? We know more than they did because Christ has come. Christ has died for sin. He's taught, and he's taught the truth. He's helped us understand more of, of the Scriptures. He has come and He has brought His reign. He's, reign, he's demonstrated His kingship, His reign over all the forces of the world, all the things that would oppose Him. Sin and sickness, natural catastrophes, the wind and the waves, the demons, all these things He's demonstrated that He's king over it. He's brought His kingdom. And then most importantly, He's demonstrated that He's king over sin and death. And He accomplished that through His death on the cross. Paying for sins. Bearing our sins. Bearing the just wrath of God for our sins. Paying for them completely. And then in His perfect sacrifice given to God on our behalf and His payment for sins, God looked and was pleased and He was raised from the dead victorious over sin and death. He conquered all. And He inaugurated His kingdom in that. The kingdom has come. And He's working His reign out in our lives. Everywhere where Jesus is believed in and obeyed, the Kingdom of God is coming. Here in this church, through your lives, as you look to Jesus, as you trust Him and live in His power, the Kingdom of God is coming into your life. It's coming into your families, your marriages. It's coming into your workplace as you walk out these things in your workplace, as you forgive others, as you seek to serve your, work, your workmates or your schoolmates, whatever it might be, in your neighborhood as you pray for your neighbors, as you seek to love them and just be good neighbors, but also lead them to Christ. The Kingdom of God is coming and touching lives. As God's people get involved in the world and, and live in the truth that Christ has taught, live in the Gospel, the good news of, of Christ, His Kingdom is extended. Culture gets affected. So much of our culture actually is from Christianity. It's the Kingdom of God touching and infiltrating our culture. Now we're drifting from that in many ways. And not to say our culture was perfect in that either. But so much has been influenced. And that's happening all over the world. That's the Kingdom of God coming. That's God fulfilling His promises to bring His reign and to rule. We live in this age where we get to see this. So it's no longer just Jerusalem or just Israel. It's to be Everywhere. All peoples, all nations. We're going to look in Revelation and learn more about that. The Kingdom comes through us. But even in the best times, even, even in the greatest revival, it's not the fullness of it, is it? We live in this time where the Kingdom has come, but it's not yet. It's not full yet. There's more. His reign is not complete. He hasn't vanquished all evil. He hasn't brought full redemption to us. It's it's already and not yet. There are ebbs and flows of it. And we live in that. And so we're a lot like Simeon and Anna at times, aren't we? 
because we don't see the fullness of it. There's still sin. There's still brokenness. And we wait, even in the best of times, hoping for the kingdom, looking forward to it. And as we learn to live and to wait and to seek and by grace to build it together, we emulate Simeon and Anna and we will enjoy their same reward. For there will be a day when we get to hold our Savior and Lord in our arms in His presence and encounter Him and be with Him forever. And there will be a day when He returns and, and finishes the work, finishes the completion of the kingdom. It will be glorious. And it will be full. So, as we read this story, let us learn from Simeon and Anna and give our all for the kingdom as we wait patiently for God to fulfill all His promises in Jesus. Real quick, I just want two more things I'll cover quickly. Um, not only are we to emulate their lives, but we should hear their words. So the things that they said are important. The things that uh, Simeon in particular said, we know. Um, he says, My eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples. So he's looking at Jesus and he's realizing Jesus is the salvation. He's the one who's bringing this uh, consolation, this salvation. And we don't know how much Simeon knows, but we know reading the Bible and knowing now the New Testament, Jesus brought salvation in His death and resurrection. And He brought it for all peoples. It says here, you've prepared in the presence of all peoples. This is a salvation that's to go to all peoples. Not just Jews, but Gentiles. Asians, Africans, Europeans, Americans, old, young, male, female, light-skinned, dark-skinned, famous, unknown, everybody. All peoples. This is a salvation for all peoples. It's to go out and touch all lives. And this salvation is not just forgiveness of sins, though that's most important. And that leads to everything else. It's full redemption. When the Scriptures talk about salvation, it, it doesn't just mean that you are forgiven and reconciled with God. It actually, the fullness of salvation will be all of who you are. You're going to get a new body in the resurrection. You're going to be a new person. You're going to be glorified when you go to be with the Lord in His presence. You're going to be entirely renewed. The whole earth is going to be renewed. Everything is going to be made new. Everything is going to be glorious without sin. There will be no sorrow, no sickness. It all sounds like a pipe dream, doesn't it? But we know because Christ has risen, this is in fact true. Because He is the first fruits of the salvation that He will bring. He will bring it to us. Just as sure as He rose from the dead, He will return and complete it, and our salvation will be full. There will be no more sorrow, no more sin, no more sickness, no more earthquakes, war, global hunger, corruption, only glory and full salvation. That's what God had prepared in Jesus. That's what Simeon held in his hand. It's good news. But Simeon also had some warning here. He said, Behold, this child is appointed for the falling and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And then he says to Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul also. There's a warning here and it applies, I think, to two groups of people. There's some warning. There's some bad news perhaps. First, it's bad news or challenging news for those who actually belong to God like Mary, but will suffer because of Jesus. That's what it means about the sword piercing her own soul. Though she belonged to God, though the fullness of salvation will be hers along with us, she suffered because of who Jesus is. As a mother, what mother would want to see her own son hated, rejected, tortured to death? 
and shame. What mother would want her son to correct her that his ultimate family is his disciples, not his biological family? Mary suffered as a mother because of who Jesus is. And, and we too will suffer because of who Jesus is. Salvation is in Him. Forgiveness is in Him. Life is in Him. But that doesn't mean it's always easy. We face difficulties in life. We have friends and family who, who either reject us. Some countries they persecute and kill us. Sometimes they just scorn Nobody enjoys being considered backwards or even bigoted by the culture. None of us enjoy that. Rejected by society. None of us enjoy the physical hardships and trials that God designs for our good to make us more like Christ. To, to follow Christ is to suffer. And it comes in ebbs and flows. He's in control of that. But we need to understand that. That's part of Simeon's warning. But there's also another aspect to it here. This is bad news for those who don't see Jesus and receive Him like Simeon and Anna did. There are many who like Jesus. They like His teaching perhaps. Some of it. They liked His being radical and the Reformer and so forth. But, but they don't like His claims that He's God in the flesh. That their sin and our sin is so bad that the God-man had to die for our sin. That the wages of sin is death. That the result of our sin is to be treated as rebels against God, to be put away in exile, to ultimately not only live separate from Him, but live separate from Him forever in exile that is unimaginably dark and full of regret. We don't like those things. His claims. We don't like the fact that He says, the Scripture says there's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. There's no other Savior. And so people stumble over Jesus. That's what Simeon says. He'll, he'll be the rising and falling of many in Israel. And not just Israel, but the whole world. He, he will be a blessing for those who run to Him for grace, but, but He will cause others to fall. Jesus is a great dividing line in history. He's kind of like the Rocky Mountains. I don't know if you, you know about... The Rocky Mountains, actually there's the Continental Divide runs through the Rocky Mountains. It actually runs all the way from Alaska all the way down through Mexico, all the way down to the very southern tip of South America, the, this Continental Divide. And it divides how the water flows. All the rain that f uh, falls on the west side of that divide goes to the Pacific. All the water that falls on the east side flows to the Atlantic, eventually, some through the Gulf of Mexico. So that divide divides where water falls. So you can actually stand on a, a peak, one of the peaks along the way, there's you know, near Breckenridge Ski Resort in Colorado, you can stand on a peak, and if you're there on a rainy day, as you face north, the rain that falls on this side of you goes to the Pacific Ocean. The rain that falls on this side of you goes to the Atlantic. On that continental divide. Jesus is like that continental divide. He is the dividing point. He's the dividing point in history. And those that fall on the left of Him flow eventually to the ocean of justice, the ocean of exile, and even of hell. Those who run to Him for His grace and mercy are like the rain that falls on the right. And they make their way through life, actually being 
influencers for the kingdom and eventually into the ocean of joy and reward and glory. That's what Simeon is saying. So what do you do with this? Well, we can run from Jesus, but we can't hide. So I'd just say, and, and, and I want you to understand if you're a visitor with us and you're just considering the claims of Christ, um, we think this is a good place to be. And, and I'm not saying this to put pressure on you, but I want you to hear what the Word says. And I think a good first step is just to simply say, I'm willing to believe this. If you really are all these things, Jesus, open my eyes to see. Open my eyes to see this. Help me believe. That's a first and simple prayer, right? I mean, it's harmless relatively, right? What do you have to lose? Ask Him to open your eyes that you can see who He is. If your eyes are being opened, then come to Him. He's full of mercy and grace. This story is here in Scripture because He loves you and wants you to come to Him and receive the blessing of life in Him and the salvation that He has. He wants you to understand all these Old Testament stories and the promises. He wants you to realize those promises and participate in the fulfillment of them in Christ. So come to Him and just simply tell Him with your mouth what you believe in your heart. Just say, Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Thank You for dying for my sin. Lead me now as my king in my life. I'm just going to give 30 seconds actually because there may be someone here who wants to pray that right now and if I didn't give you time, you might not do it. So let's just close our eyes and if that's you, just say that to Jesus. Amen. And if you did, please tell someone. You can tell me. I'd love to hear and would love to help you on your journey. For the rest of us who have already come to Jesus, this truth of Simeon should give us reason to celebrate. And if the band could come up as we close. gives us reason to celebrate. Because in Him, we, we are those raindrops that have fallen and we're on our way to experience all that He has for us. And He's in control of the journey. And He's using us along the way. He's for us. He wants to bring the Kingdom through our lives. And He wants us to seek Him and to wait for Him. And anticipate the fullness of all these things to be like Simeon and Anna. To give our all for the Kingdom as we wait patiently for God to fulfill all His promises in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Mike could come up and prepare us for communion.